0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This BFM Budget 2023 special is brought to you by Ma Singh.
1: Good afternoon, this is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Julia Jacobs. Malaysia's 2023 budget will be tabled in Parliament this Friday on the 7th of October, three weeks earlier than usual. And Finance Minister Tunku Zafrul Aziz has said that it will prioritise environmental sustainability and sustainable financing of the economy. So today on the show, you'll be hearing from three Malaysians working in the environment and conservation field, uh, mostly in the NGO side, about their hopes and wish lists for Budget 2023. So first up, there's Dr. Dr. Shiba Chinoli. She's a meteorologist and senior lecturer from the Department of Geography at the University of Malaya. She's also part of the team behind Bite Size Climate Action, which is a series of fun, flexible and immersive short online modules designed by experts like Dr. Shiba and her team in the conservation field to inspire Malaysian youth to act for the climate. So as someone working on climate-related issues, Dr. Sheba is hoping for more allocation to be provided for flood preparedness and mitigation in our country. So floods, of course, as we know, are the most common and among the most deadly natural disasters in Malaysia. We've been seeing more and more proof of that in recent times. So I asked Dr. Sheba whether she thought the impact of flooding had been made worse in recent times, and if so, why? Here's what she had to say.
2: The impact of uh, flooding has been made worse over the last decade, and this can be attributed to many factors like land use change and unsustainable development, especially in the urban areas and near the um, rivers. So these factors increase our exposure to climate related hazards like flood. And if you look at the IPCC report, shows that the climate change may increase the frequency of extreme rainfall and thereby the risk of river and coastal flooding. So with um, 20% of nation's population exposed to the risk of flooding, we need to be prepared for the flood to minimise the losses. Mm -hmm. Okay. And
1: I think maybe it would be helpful, maybe if you can just remind us and, and talk to us about how climate change leads to flooding.
2: Okay, so occurrence of flooding usually depends on the duration of rainfall, location, and the intensity. So extreme uh, precipitation events uh, that have produced more rain have become more common in many regions of the world, especially tropical regions. So scientists uh, expect these trends to continue as the planet continues to warm, because in theory, warmer air can hold more water vapour, So for each degree of warming, the air's capacity of holding water vapor goes up by about um, 7%, right? Mm -hmm. So an atmosphere with uh, more moisture can produce more intense precipitation events like this. So which is exactly what has been observed, and this can contribute to heavy rainfall falling to sometimes a smaller area in a shorter duration, causing flooding and landslides, et cetera, right? Right. So uh, their disastrous impact and um, causes of, um, you know, loss of life and property is much more compared to the normal events. And also the frequency of these events is increasing in a changing climate.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for, um, you know, elaborating on that. And I think all of us can recall, you know, how unprepared uh, us Malaysians were for last December's really devastating floods, right? Um, Just, you know, looking at Budget 2023, do you hope Budget 2023 will prioritise some things in terms of both flood prevention and also
2: flood mitigation? Yes, I really hope so. And... uh Though there is a sense of um, preparedness this time, the heavy rainfall and associated flood will continue to be a problem until we take um, sufficient and long-term practical measures. So therefore, there should be the development of uh, flood prevention strategies based on flood control strategic studies and computational models. Uh, land use management measures should be in place to ensure that the current flooding situation will not deteriorate mm-hmm. due to the further development and urbanization, especially over the floodplains. So beside this, um, it is uh, crucial to ensure that the problematic road gullies, um, you know, that, like uh, stormwater intakes, drains and water causes are inspected regularly, especially before and during the rainy season and the drainage system has been identified as one of the uh, you know significant sources of flash floods also we have to monitor landslide prone areas strengthen the moni- and strengthen and also monitor slopes yeah. okay all right and
1: how about you know if floods do happen and, and they will happen right you know despite our best efforts to pre- uh, to prevent it what needs to be thought about thought about in terms of response to floods
2: Yeah, although weather forecast and flood warnings from meteorological department and other related authorities are issued, widespread damage and sometimes even, you know, loss of lives are still created by weather-related hazards. So in this situation, what is, um, you know, critical to ensure as public awareness about the appropriate response and actions from the various related authorities. Even if the forecast is available, um, we need some kind of simple information translation and also dissemination by all available media to reach the public so as to know what that weather will do to me for his or her immediate response with rescue agencies in case of um, this kind of disaster. Mm -hmm. Okay, so these are some of the things that you hope
1: uh, Budget 2023 will, uh, you know, take into account and prioritise, yeah? Yes. Okay, excellent. And I guess, you know, any, any final message that you'd like to leave us with, any call to action perhaps that you think is important?
2: Yeah, maybe a clear SOPs for floods and flash floods should be established separately for all disaster response agencies to have the guidelines as to coordinate effectively, um, so that they can be in action immediately with the you know main aim of either evacuating or rescuing the. Uh, Flight victims within that golden hour, mm-hmm. and uh, an example is that of um, Hong Kong rainstorm warning system. So the rainstorm warning system is a, is designed uh, to alert the public about heavy rain. So which likely to bring about uh, some major disruptions or to, you know, ensure the readiness within the essential service to deal with the emergencies. So these warnings are color-coded and uh, they have three levels, um, such as amber, red, and black. Mm -hmm. And each warning level is associated with a a clear action plan for everyone, like um, public, parents, students, or, you know, school authorities, sometimes the drivers, Uh, farmers, uh, particularly those um, living in low-lying or flood-frequented areas, and also the employees um, working outside. So in conclusion, disaster action plan needs to be updated all the time, and each authority, authoritative body's um, terms of reference need to be, you know, detailed to ensure that disaster management runs smoothly.
1: That was Dr. Shiba Chinoli, a meteorologist and senior lecturer from the Department of Geography at the University of Malaya, and she's also part of the team behind Bite Size Climate Action. Now we're going to hear from Andrew Sebastian, the founder and chief executive officer of the Ecotourism and Conservation Society of Malaysia. Andrew is, of course, a naturalist, a long-time conservationist, and I started off by asking him about updates on the plan that was announced last year by the federal government, who agreed to compensate states that maintain their forest reserves as water catchment areas and protect them against illegal logging activities. So just to remind folks, this was announced by the Prime Minister, Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri Yaakob, back in November 2021. The Prime Minister did say at the time that the formula to determine the quantum for the compensation payment would be studied by the relevant ministry. And so I was asking Andrew, how far along are we on this plan? You know, are there any updates at all? Uh, Here's what Andrew had to say.
0: Well, uh, when it was announced we thought it was amazing because for many years we've been banging on about uh, how how the state holding all the revenue for timber and mining and so on always comes across and uh, in in in, in defiance, uh, perhaps in all our shouts to protect forest reserves and so on yeah okay. so when the federal government announced that they are they are going to look into this finally we had hoped there will be more traction yeah so since then there has not been any traction as far as i can tell uh, about it being codified in any local structure plans or any uh, high-level meetings being held. Uh, although it is a pretty complicated uh, issue, uh, I know there's a lot of things uh, to be discussed uh, when you talk about compensation. The quantum, in, in fact, was discussed, uh, and I, we knew it's going to be a long road. But uh, it would have been nice to see some traction happening. And I'm hoping going into budget 2023 beyond. I'm hoping. It shows its its face in some budget line or, or another.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, what would make sense, you know, uh, to be tabled in budget twenty twenty three in relation to this? I mean, what are your what is your wish list? What is your what are your hopes?
0: I think number one is uh, we are looking we are losing so much of natural forests uh, around yeah. yeah. So uh, first and foremost, I think we need to strengthen and in fact uh, expand. Uh, areas and, and wildlife corridors, we need to expand our protected area system uh, to include buffer zones, to include uh, uh, water catchment areas, of course. Yeah. Wildlife corridors, we need to connect uh, main range, central main range areas, forested areas uh, to each other so biodiversity can thrive. So the, the, the Malayan tiger, for example, has a chance to survive uh, beyond uh, our next generation. Uh, and of course, uh, we don't have to worry so much about water Shortage and water resources, and so on. Once we protect the forest reserves, and not just permanent forest reserves, we're talking about forest reserves that are now prone to being degazetted mm. into into uh, plantations, for example. Yeah?
1: yeah. Okay. And you know, coming from an ecotourism point of view, Andrew. I mean, any any t- anything in that sense, you know, that you hope to see uh, being mentioned in the budget, you know, uh, with regard to you know, I mean, coming from the ecotourism uh, sector, especially, yeah.
0: Ecotourism tourism goes hand in hand with, uh, with conservation. Yeah? So same thing that we're talking about, uh, protecting protected areas, expanding marine parks, for example, expanding forest, uh, I mean, state parks, uh, uh, national parks, and so on. Yeah. So in line with that, we have to go down the road to think about something a lot more sustainable, mm-hmm. besides plantations and mining and so on. And Malaysia is one of the 17th mega-diverse countries in the world. So we have a lot of biodiversity Ours is one of the very few countries in the world that has two species of uh, uh, of elephants, for example, the Bornean pygmy elephant and the Asian elephant. Uh, the Malayan elephant, in fact, it's a it's a subspecies in Peninsular Malaysia. So. We have a lot of beautiful things to showcase to the ecotourists or the, the travelers that come from Europe and any other parts of the world. You know? So we should peg ourselves with countries like uh, Costa Rica, like Ecuador, like Africa, yeah, you know? because we have so much in terms uh, of nature to offer uh, travelers that are going to come and have a look. Mm-hmm.
1: And it would require a lot of, it would require some amount of funding, isn't it, to yeah. to see proper sort of ecotourism uh, sites, you know, to have the proper sort of mm-hmm. facilities and management Co- and all of that.
0: Yes. Yeah, hardscape aside, I mean, we also need, uh, I mean, apart from a bit of infrastructure, we need a lot of training. We need a lot of uh, people to, uh, places to be ready post-COVID. I think a lot of places have shut down. Mm-hmm. We need to revitalize stuff like that. We need to put up uh, proper uh, signages, for example, uh, facilities, as I said. But most importantly, we need to put ourselves back on the world map. Because in Europe, Booking.com, Agoda, UNWTO uh, points to many surveys that says it, the Europeans that's going to travel now, want to only travel to destinations that are sustainable Mm. or nature-based yeah Yeah. so we need to take that into perspective and say hey let's open our doors very quickly to travelers from uh, north america from europe and so on because they'll pay big bucks yeah they'll pay a lot of money to come and see our wonderful wildlife and when money gets spent in our country it can be reinvested into building up local communities Mm. the nature guides that are here the fishing guides that are here the dive operators everybody's going to Earn a lot more money and sustainably. If you can sort of just open a page to say, "Hey, let's invest. Let's invest in ecotourism because we have all the cool stuff here." Yeah, I think uh, all fair and square. Right now, it's a challenge to put money together. Uh, we've had a meeting with the Ministry of Finance so to engage and give our thoughts as well uh, last year, and uh, mm-hmm. so we are hopeful. We are hopeful every year that that. Uh, something gets done about uh, putting resources where it's uh, meant to be, especially when it comes to conservation and sustainability.
1: That was Andrew Sebastian, the founder and chief executive officer of the Ecotourism and Conservation Society of Malaysia with his budget twenty twenty-three wish list for the environment. We're gonna go for a quick break, but when we come back, let's focus on the marine side of things with Dr. Louisa Panampalam She is the chairperson of the Mariset Research Organization, and we're gonna hear her budget twenty twenty three wish list. Keep it right here on Earth Matters on the Bigger Picture, BFM eighty nine point nine.
0: Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2023 Special, brought to you by Ma Sing. This BFM Budget 2023 Special is brought to you by Ma Sing.
1: Welcome back. This is Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture. I'm Juliet Jacobs. Budget 2023 is set to be tabled this Friday. And today on the show, we're hearing from three individuals working in conservation and also advocacy for the environment. We're getting their wish list for Budget 2023. So earlier before the break, I spoke to Dr. Shiba Chinoli, a meteorologist and senior lecturer from the Department of Geography at the University of Malaya. She is also part of the team behind Bite Size Climate Action. Uh, basically, Dr. Shiba's wish is for more allocation to be budgeted for flood mitigation and adaptation plans here in Malaysia. And then we heard from Andrew Sebastian, the founder and chief executive officer of the Ecotourism and Conservation Society of Malaysia, who, among other things, shared his wish that Budget 2023 will formalise plans and allocate funds for the plan by the federal government to compensate states that maintain their forest reserves as water catchment areas and protect them against illegal logging activities. Just reminded reminder, that was an announcement made by the Prime Minister in November 2021 and we haven't heard much about that since. But now we're going to hear from Dr. Luisa Punampalam. she is the chairperson of the Marisat Research Organisation which is a non-profit NGO in Malaysia it's dedicated solely to marine mammal conservation and research in Malaysia. So I started off by asking Luisa if anything inspiring from Budget 2022 had emerged for the environment especially for the marine side of things and here's what she had to say
3: Personally, I did not, I mean, you know, we've been so busy, I didn't really keep track of budget, um, the budget of last year, but I don't recall seeing anything major or significant happen, at least in the marine conservation sphere locally, um, you know, at like a national level. So I imagine probably nothing too exciting happened on that front. Okay. All right, and I this is something
1: you know from one of our previous interviews, Louisa. And bear with me; I'm going to re-quote you here. Uh, this is something you said in an interview a few years ago. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You you said our seafood stocks are depleting, water catchment areas are losing out to logging, we've already lost wildlife species, we're on the brink of losing more, there are strange weather anomalies, you know, those are becoming the norm, natural water sources are drying up, resulting in massive shortages, the impact of pollution are becoming more prominent. Uh, this certainly doesn't sound convincing for a developed nation. That was what you you said back uh, I, it must have been four, or five years mm-hmm. ago. Um, how do you feel wow. about that, <laughs> that statement? Do you think we've seen any improvement at all?
3: I think that that statement still rings true uh, and still rings loudly, maybe even louder now. I just feel like we've made maybe some small progress on the ground. There are groups, there are certain initiatives, people taking steps to address all these different issues. But I think by and large as a country, I don't think we've really improved all that much, Mm. you know, to the point where we can, you know, Pat ourselves on the back, just talking about plastic pollution or pollution in general. I've been spending quite a lot of time offshore working um, on our research project on whales. And, you know, you're talking about being 60, 70 kilometres from shore. You're far enough. Sometimes you can't even see the land anymore. You can't even see the island anymore. It's just surrounded by seawater. And right around you in that seawater is just... Streams and streams and streams of trash that has come from somewhere on the on the land, you know, from some long gang, from you know, washed out through some river, um, you know, during a storm, and it's it's really disturbing. I I, I get really stressed out seeing it. It's anything from plastic packaging, food packaging, you know, your Pasamalam plastic bags to uh, I think last few months ago, I saw a toilet bowl cleaner, a helmet, soft toy, uh, toothbrush, loads and loads and loads of um, drinking, you know, mineral water bottles, all sorts of drink bottles. And you you find the things that are floating at the surface and then you, you know, the water is really clear offshore. So you can see almost down to like four or five meters down in the water column and you can just see all the pieces of plastic. A lot of it is food packaging kind of plastic just floating in the water. Where they are floating to, I don't know. Or where they'll flow back to probably, you know, back to land. And then, of course, um, September was um, international coastal cleanup. So a lot of different groups did cleanups all around the country. We did a small little cleanup as well on Pulau Langkawi. And we collected so much plastic bottles, both old and new bottles. Um, So it's just, it's getting quite bad. Even with the dolphins that we're studying, I'm noticing that, it, they're a lot more, some of the regular dolphins that we, we usually sight, they're getting you know more scarred up from things that they would have interacted with in the sea, either fisheries gear or some kind of discarded marine debris that got snagged onto their body and cut into their body mm-hmm. and hurt them. They're really lucky to, to have survived. And I often wonder how many didn't survive. You know, the ones who survived, we can see them and we can see them bearing the scars of that interaction with that human-made item. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder how many did not make it because the cut was too deep. Maybe they died from infection, got left behind, etc. So it's really uh, disturbing to know that every day we are generating more waste and that waste isn't going away. It's going somewhere and that somewhere is right into the habitat of a lot of marine life. In June, we were doing a whale survey and these whales were just, it, lots of ikanbilis around okay. and the whales were just feeding in a frenzy with their mouths wide open, gulping huge volumes of water so that the ikanbilis can get into their mouths and then they squeeze all that water out and they swallow the ikanbilis. But right around them were these these streams, these lanes of, plastic debris that was floating around everywhere and it just made me think how much of that small pieces of plastic you know that is almost the size of the ikan bilis that the whales could be ingesting just by virtue of the fact that they are opening their mouths so big and gulping whole volumes of water so um yeah I it's not getting better I don't think on the whole mm-hmm. um I think we are seeing a lot more deforestation. We are seeing um, water, water shortages here and there. You know, maybe su- those of us who live in the city we enjoy pretty steady water supply, but outside in more rural areas, people might be suffering from you know lack of. Um, yeah, and I, I just it it's it's not a very um, uh, hopeful. Outlook. we want to be hopeful of course you know this is the planet that we're going to be living on your kids are going to be growing up in and the people who come after but yeah it's hard to to sound like everything is fine because I don't think it is yeah, yeah. And, and you've painted and that's it I mean people are doing what they can but I just think on the grand scale of everything it's not looking great
1: Okay. And I was was just going to say that you've painted a picture that not many of us get to see, you know, out there 60, 70 kilometers, you know, from shore. Yeah, you imagine it's clear, you know, nice water, but no, that's not the case, right? You think, oh, maybe it's just at the beach, but no, it's all out there. And, and, you know, not just whales, there's the turtles, there's all the other uh, sea creatures as well, you know, potentially ingesting all of this and and dying from it or suffering consequences from it, right?
3: Yes, Absolutely. So sometimes we feel like, oh, water's really clear. Let's jump in for a quick swim. And then you start noticing the stuff floating by and you're like, uh, maybe not. If I'll <laughs> stay on the boat now. <laughs>
1: that, and that far away from shore, you know, it's just, oh gosh. Okay. It's a big yeah. garbage patch there like, happening as well.
3: Yeah.
1: Okay. Yep. All right. But I guess, you know, I, I always ask you this and I, and I want to ask you again in terms, so budget 2023 is going to be tabled uh, this Friday. Uh, the environment yeah. usually gets some allocation. Yes. Uh, and they said that this year is going to be a big one, but in terms of coastal or maybe marine ecosystem conservation, uh, what are some of the, the items on your wish list?
3: I definitely think that you know I'm coming now from the NGO sector we do a lot of uh, NGOs in general we do a lot of on the ground work finding solutions work, you know applying the science to doing you know to and putting that science to work where you know in terms of making recommendations for solutions for conservation action and things like that and I really do feel like um, there should be more budget allocated to grassroots organizations to um, be able to operationalize uh, or actionize, if that's even a word, um, whatever it is that they need to do, you know, to um, address a conservation problem in the area where they're working. Whether it's on species, whether it's on ecosystem, whether it's with local communities, local governance, um, A lot of us, we rely on private donors, grant money, uh, raising our own funds through, you know, selling merchandise and things like that um, to be able to do the conservation work that we do. And I think it's high time that um, money is given, not just for research, um, you know, or research and technological kind of research, but um, money should be given for research and research that can be applied to finding solutions and, and funding to help us Um, achieve those solutions. Because at the end of the day, we're not working for ourselves. We're working for a better Malaysia. And the work that we do does assist with, um, you know, uh, um, helping the government um, achieve their targets. You know, we we sign on to certain conventions and things like that, and there are targets to be met. So I think that's important to have um, perhaps more budget be given towards uh, improving the management of our existing uh, marine parks, perhaps more budget to um, develop and establish more marine parks. And not just marine parks. I think, you know, we need to move towards um, managed areas. So you have a, a conservation area that is zoned and there are different zones for different things. Um, you know, just like how the Great Barrier Reef in Australia is, it's it's a very big Marine Park, but it's zoned. So certain areas you can do certain things, certain areas is totally no go. I think we we should have more budget allocated towards going in that direction and just making um our marine park management more efficient. Um, you know, because there's always room for improvement. You know, we can't say that we're doing the best job now. Um I think more funding to for patrolling, you know, whether it's um encroachment of illegal fishing gears, of foreign fishing vessels that are not meant to be there, patrolling just for anything that's happening out there that shouldn't be happening, you know, that is, whether it's impacting our marine life or the ecosystems out there. Um, I really think we need to have more more funding for those. Um, And I think, for example, I think we need budget to really operationalize our national marine mammal stranding network Mm -hmm. this has been something that has been stewing and cooking for a long time there is some kind of a network but you know and there was a plan that was written but um, really not much no funding or not much funding to actually make it happen so you know, we, we, we zoned up the country into different zones so that if a stranding occurs in zone one, people who are within that zone can respond and things like that. Yeah. But, um, often, you know, there isn't much, uh, allocation to really make this happen where maybe there's no budget to get to the place or there's no budget for, um, the equipment needed to conduct the necessary, necessary investigations and etc to train up more vets that are acquainted with um, aquatic or marine wildlife, things like that. So it'd be nice as a start to have some money allocated to properly develop um, this this network. You know, it's been years. And I think... um, I, I believe that we came up with, uh we as in Malaysia came up with a plastic sustainability roadmap 2021 to 2030. Yeah. I'm just looking at it now on the website and I was not there at the, the meetings, you know, when these things were drawn up, but just looking at it, I, I have wondered how much um, budget was discussed or allocated or planned to be allocated to actually uh operationalize this roadmap. You know, this roadmap has all the things that we need to do to eliminate single-use plastics and things like that. But obviously, it's a very complex topic. It involves a lot of industry players, government agencies, and people on the ground, you know, our Malaysians. So, um, I think that we need to really set aside money to make the roadmap actually work operationalize it whatever we say we want to try and do in there Uh, because i think if we can do that then um we can try to slow down or stop the source of all that land to see trash that that you know we've been seeing out there um again i don't think it's a straightforward um kind of problem to solve you know it's not just about okay, let's put a plug on all the rivers and the longkang so that the trash doesn't, you know, flow out to the sea. I think it involves, you know, industry players um, finding solutions to um, better better plastics, you know, and the single-use plastic thing needs to stop somehow. And I'm not an expert on this whole topic, but just I think broadly I'm speaking, we need to find a way to become a country that is less dependent on single-use plastics, or have a way for people to really dispose of it or to have it just break down and be reused, you know, return to the system, circular economy, basically, um, without it, you know, leaking out into the environment. Because right now what I'm seeing is there's a lot of leakage of all that land-based trash um, coming out into into the sea. Not to mention that, you know, we have a lot of marine vessels plying our our territorial waters, whether it's a small boat, large boat, whatever. And I wouldn't, I mean, I imagine not everyone is compliant with, um, you know, how their trash is disposed of uh, or managed at sea. So there's just a lot of trash coming into the marine environment and really impacting um, everything from the smallest organisms to the largest ones. Um, And these animals have no say, you know, we're just dumping stuff into their home I always tell people how would you like it if you walked home you got home one day you open your front door and all that trash just falls out onto your face because someone was just dumping trash into your house Um, that's not very nice but that's really what we're doing whether we realize it or not people are not mindful enough about where their trash goes so to that end I think really we need to put money towards making circular economy work and really from that leakage of land to sea waste. Um, And perhaps uh, linked, you know, is education, whether it's in our school syllabus or any other form of outreach um, initiatives for Malaysians. We really need to put some funding towards developing effective and impactful education um, programs just to, you know, be able to share with people about, really the issue issue at hand and how we can do our part as everyday citizens to to ease i mean it's a complex again it's a complex situation you know we're not all here to solve it on our own but everyone has a role to play yeah. so i think education is important i think finding the mechanism to stop that leak uh, of trash out into the environment is important but i think we need funding that you know there needs to be budget allocated for these things. We can't just keep sitting around the table and discussing the, the, the problem that keeps persisting and um, you know providing suggestions for um, action and solutions. And, and then it just stays there as meeting minutes or it stays in a document. We need to take those discussions beyond and we need to put um, money on it mm-hmm. to, and be able to give it to people who can do something about it. Yeah, yeah.
1: so uh, that's what I think. And you know, the word I've been hearing from you a lot is operationalize. So I mean, that you, you know, we're saying we have all these plans already. It's just we need to put that money to make it actually happen. To to you know, have it actually um, the enforcement of it, right? The the actual carrying out of it. That seems that seems to be the lacking point
3: here. I mean, in the past, I've been part of discussions that deal with national plan of actions for certain marine species management plans, and there's all these, you know target objective you know action to take under each target and objective but again some of those targets and objectives might have been met indirectly because people on the ground are doing it through their respective projects Mm. but as a country you know I don't feel I don't see how these plans have really been made functional because there's never any budget you know it's okay Uh, objective one is this. So the target is to have a reduction of blah, blah, blah by a certain date. Then the actions under that will be to do this, to do that, to do that. And at the end of it, when we review it in five to 10 years, okay, did we achieve this objective? Did we meet the target? And the answer is usually no. Why? Because... There was no funding there was no funding there was no directive for people to take you know take charge to to get it done so then okay we revise the document for the next five to ten years and we go through the same okay is this still relevant yes okay this is what not relevant okay we remove it from the document and then that's it that's it and again it stays there here okay, we've done our part we've revised the document. Cree, creep, creep, creep. You know, like then and then what? I, I stare at you and you stare at me and we stare at this document. Um oh God. and we go off and do our own thing in the small capacity that we have, right? Mm. But if this is going to be a, and of course there are, there are designated agencies and groups of people under each target or action, you know, that who, who is relevant to it and and who should be doing it, that's that's fine. We can come together to do it, but how do we do it if there's no um there's no money? Yeah. To to do it right. Yeah. So let's stop talking. We we have a lot of you know things written down on paper and documents all over the place. Some are outdated, some do need updating, but let's go beyond. I feel it's really the time to um put 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 some budget into making all these things that we have spent hours discussing and debating and revising, putting them into action. And I think. With that, we can really start making some tracks as a country, um, you know, towards really achieving all these things that we say we want to do, right? I mean, it's not us small NGOs or other groups on the ground that have sort of written up these documents or said, hey, we're going to write this action plan. It really came usually from the government side and we were engaged to uh, contribute content to contribute insight and we're really happy and proud to be a part of that process but now we have to take it beyond just the discussion
2: yeah
3: right yeah. beyond just printing however many copies and saying that we have a plan a plan is just a plan if it's uh, not actually Execute it.
1: yeah.
3: executed yeah. yeah it's just a planner I planned I could plan to drink tea but never actually boil the water okay. you know Yeah. Okay. All right. So,
1: okay. So, so those that's some of the things on your wish list. You work, of course, mainly in marine and uh, marine conservation. But of course, you know, you work with folks from the uh, from who work on land based sort of issues as well. Um, any sort of issues there that you think also need some attention based on you know the work that you do as well?
3: I work. I mean, I think I work in areas that are semi rural. I wouldn't say they're incredibly rural, but they're semi rural and. I don't know, in these places, often I see a lot of um, issues with strays. I've also heard issues where the strays have become too much that they start impacting the local terrestrial wildlife. Um, you know, I love I love dogs and it always wrenches my heart to see online, you know, all these social media posts, someone appealing for someone else to foster or adopt this puppy or kitten that they just found in the longgang by the side of the road, just got hit by a car. And there's really, there's so many, there's yeah. so many much more than people have the ability to take in. Shelters are all full. It's, it's a really cruel and tough life, I think, for strays generally in Malaysia. I think a lot more people these days who are doing independent rescues who are just trying to do their best for the strays. But I think as a country, we need to allocate money for proper government-funded neutering programs. I just keep seeing so many independent groups raising funds on their own um, and small pots of money available here and there for people to do neutering. But why you know if we want to you know be a negara maju then i think being kind to animals um, you know whether it's domesticated animals or wildlife is is an index measurement of being a negara maju right yeah. um allowing strays to, to you know kind of multiply and then they they suffer and have a you know of out of how many strays how many actually get adopted and adopted into a good home so many die from illness get run over stones are thrown at them a lot on the street etc cetera, etc cetera. and then they cause havoc to um you know society around them and then wildlife is impacted and people start to blame the strays and it is this whole like vicious cycle right yeah. um but really they didn't ask to be to be born in the first place. And I think we can we can try to manage this situation, right, by neutering um, nurturing the strays. In a humane and way, I right? I really think, it, pardon?
1: In a humane way, because, you know, a lot of people in say a just, way, yes. just cull. But it's, no, we, as, a, yeah, as a garamaju, yeah.
3: Yeah, correct. And I think it'll take a while, you know, even if you start um, neutering all the strays that, it will take a while for you to see that reduction, but we have to start somewhere. And I think by by putting money towards a nutrient program, you know, national nutrient program, or whatever we want to call it, um, we're being kind to the environment. We're being kind to the strays that would otherwise mostly suffer a terrible life on the streets, um, however long or short that they live. Um, and it just helps ease off the burden on so many people who are already trying their best to shelter all these strays and foster them. Um, I think, you know, sometimes people people who are doing it are the ones who don't have much themselves, but out of the kindness of their heart because they just can't see, they can't bear to see the strays suffering. They they take more, more strays in. So it's like it, like, it just goes on and then you know, people are stretched to their limits. So how about, yeah, Funding, you know, providing funding, allocating money every year um, in some way for for some kind of program where we're neutering the strays, or we're enabling, better enabling grassroots organizations um, and civil society to help with the neutering of strays, um, and to try and bring that, you know, um, population overpopulation of strays everywhere down Mm -hmm. and hopefully that helps with protecting wildlife species you know that we have and improving people's um well-being you know when I say people people were involved in these rescues and things like that and just again animal welfare um you know being a country that's kind to to animals so I I hope I hope we can go towards that to thinking about the strays I think it's something that's like Probably very far from many people's minds right. because the mainstays of budget come in first. You know, the economy, poverty, people's well-being, et cetera. But so strays are like what strays? <laughs> Money for strays? Come on! Yeah. But if you look beyond that, you will see that it's all linked. And at the end of the day, um, there is there are many good benefits to be had by dedicating funding for. An important thing, such as nurturing um, nurturing the streets. Yeah, I think in a nutshell, just we just need more money for all the environmental things that we don't quite place enough priority on. I think we we can look after an, our environment. The environment really looks after oh, us. Yeah, it's important. We need to have, we need to think in longer terms and not just short term like um, tomorrow. You know, so the environment is going to sustain us, um, and if we don't protect it, it's it's really not going to provide us with the water that we need, you know, the clean water that we need, the fresh air that we need. Um, and if we're going to have to start paying for those services, if we're going to be paying a lot of money, so why not um, invest in looking after these important elements that support life, whether it's in the air, on land, or in the sea, or our waterways um so that it those things those elements can look after us in the long term
1: that was Dr. Louisa Panampalam, the chairperson of the Mariset Research Organization, sharing her wish list for budget 2023. If you'd like to find out more about the organizations my three guests from today work for and represent, please head to their website. So for Dr. Louisa, just head to Mariset.org. That's M-A-R-E-C-E-T dot or or follow her on social media. For Dr. Sheba, it's a bite-sized climate action. So bite-sized climate slash Malaysia. You can also follow them on social media. Just search for Bite Size Climate Action Malaysia. And for Andrew, just head to ecomy.org, that's E-C-O-M-Y dot O-R-G, for more information. And if you miss any part of today's show, just download the podcast at bfm.my slash earth, or you can find it on the BFM app. This has been Earth Matters on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9.
0: This BFM Budget 2023 special was brought to you by Ma